Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1344, entitled Gaming for the Hell of It. <laughs> Our podcast title is How to Record a Podcast and Get Away with It. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are today looking at a fantasy novel by the incredibly worthy KJ Parker and also a video game. Yes, a video game called Hades, which is available on the Switch and for PC and Mac. Why do we call them video games still? I know. It's it's come quite (laughs) far from the old cartridge, hasn't it? I guess a uh, computer game, but even that's not right, is it? Uh, Maybe that should be just called games, except doesn't the gambling industry call what it does gaming? Indeed. There's lots of grey areas there and language uh, plot holes. But, yeah, Mm. let's say game for now. Now, last week, as you will recall, we talked about – a Quiet Place 2, and then we got overtaken by an apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least, you know, another lockdown. You know, here we are, and we talked about that. And if you want to see it at the cinema, you may have to wait. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely have to wait. In Melbourne, at least. It'll be out there eventually, one way or the other. Yeah. DVD, streaming, maybe even an, while the cinema run's still going on. We did make a fortuitous call, and we decided not to do Cruella. <laughs> Because, again, another cinema movie, but, yeah, will be available on that expensive Disney Plus premium platform as streaming, (laughs) and eventually they'll just stream it regularly. We'll get to that in due course because it looks like fun. Yeah, I think we'll definitely cover that, but we'll do it at a more appropriate time, I think. Hmm. And it's always an appropriate time to review a new K.J. Parker novel, or at least new to me, and this is How to Rule an Empire and Get Away with It. And it's book two. I don't know if it's going to be a trilogy, and K.J. Parker can be a bit tricky that way. (laughs) Now, this is an Orbit paperback, and the previous book in the series was 16 Ways to Defend a Walled City. (laughs) Now, stop me if you've heard this one. Once upon a time, there's this beggar. He's on the streets outside the palace, Mm -hmm. and he bears an uncanny resemblance to the king. Mm -hmm. One day, he's spirited inside the palace and finds himself standing in for the king himself. Mm -hmm. It's a popular, well-worn plot for a play, Mm -hmm. and one very familiar to playwright and actor, not Kerr. And he's a professional in all of those entertainment arts and also a part-time burglar. (laughs) A side hustle, if you will. Well, you wouldn't want those private party entertainer gigs in mansions to go to waste when they could do double service as casing the houses for later Mm -hmm. Mm (laughs) break-ins. Now, some people are born to greatness, and then there are those who get smacked in the face with it. 
And when they wake up, they find themselves being assessed by very serious and stone-cold, ruthless powers that be to play the role of the most important man in the city. Mm -hmm. Now, said VIP has just been very thoroughly killed by a rock catapulted into the city, which is in the decade-long process of being besieged by a force of hundreds of thousands of vengefully determined barbarians who are camped outside the walls. Now, Netcore just happens to look like this guy, but he's also been mimicking him on stage and as a party piece. Mm, so he's got it's, some mannerisms down and things like that. Yeah, even if he is a bit short, and <laughs> you know, it's it's all in how you play the role. The city, by the way, was the indomitable capital of the Robur Empire mm-hmm. before it demonstrably, well, <laughs> was not as quite as indomitable as you might have thought, its empire was overrun by the barbarian horde, except for the city, Mm. which has managed to hold out, mostly due to its very strong walls, its navy, which can reinforce and bring in supplies through the Mm harbour, and due to the resourcefully brilliant siegecraft defence mounted by Colonel-in-Chief of Engineers, Orhan Felix Placarissimus. (laughs) (laughs) As recounted in the wonderful previous book in this series, 16 Ways to Defend a Walled City. Now, this new book is set about seven years after the previous one. The city is still under siege. (laughs) The enemy commander, August, has astonishing stamina when it comes to maintaining his vendetta against the Robur, his own newly fledged empire which is mostly composed of what was left of the Robur Empire, is also precariously dependent upon the siege being eventually successfully pressed home mm-hmm. because he's made all sorts of promises on the, on the <laughs> idea that the, the capital city will be sacked. Right. Now, by the way, the clued-up reader, well, you're going to know that you're basically talking about the Eastern Roman Empire here mm-hmm. and Constantinople. So why, why spoil a bolt of whole cloth inventing something when you've already got a serviceable historical model stitched up and handy before you? Mm-hmm. Now, the barbarians have something of a point about wanting to be rid of the yoke of robur oppression. As there's a reason that autocorrect keeps wanting to render robur as robber. They are as efficiently avaricious as our own historical Roman lot were. Mm -hmm. And P.S., how wonderful was the first book in this series, 16 Ways to Defend a Walled City? Well, I leafed through it to make some notes for this review of the sequel. My eye got caught up in it, and now it's on the top of my reading pile again. (laughs) (laughs) And I only read it last in 2018. Mm -hmm. Mind you, that's only a couple of years ago, but less if you include the discount for Pandemic which you should, because <laughs> that's not real time in anyone's no. world. Anyway, Notker, the actor, makes a pretty good fake emperor, which you will suspect if you've read much of Parker's other superb novels, is better than the real thing. And as they say, you should be very careful whose face you put on, because if the wind shifts, it may stick. Mm-hmm. The book, of course, as is K.J. Parker's meticulously fascinating style, is full of procedural about statecraft, siegecraft, mm-hmm. and acting. Yeah. Uh, substitute Orhan for Notka and engineering for acting, and you'd almost have the first novel in repeat. <laughs> Some people say encore means play it again. And that's before you even swap the highly intelligent character of Akma, the innkeeper, in the mm-hmm. first novel, for Hodder, the playhouse manager, as the not-at-all-token women of extreme significance, 
who are generally three steps ahead of the only notionally in charge male protagonists. So there's lots to be said for the fact that this book is very much like the original. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is not unusual in KJ Parker's stories. But you know what? It doesn't matter one whit because uh-huh. they are both equally witty. Mm-hmm. Now, let's have a track here to start off with mm-hmm. to give us some mood. And I was kicking around thinking about it, and I ended up coming up with All the World's a Stage, which is by Steve Titford from his album Shakespeare Rocks. So you've got a bit of As You Like It going on here as well. <laughs> All the World's a Stage from Shakespeare Rocks. This is Sir Derek Jacobi. Zero G or not zero G? That is the question. Shakespeare rocks. Stephen Titfield did the music for that. William Shakespeare had a little bit to do with the lyrics, <laughs> and it is actually a children's musical that you can Aww. do at schools. So, yeah, that, I kind of like that's that. That's really yeah. fun. I thought that was quite a sweet track. <laughs> yeah. Now, this is a Zero G episode number 1344, and it has just come to my attention that on uh, March the 26th in 1344, mm-hmm. it was the siege of Algeciras, which is one of the first military engagements in Europe where gunpowder was used. Huh. And it ended up with the Muslim city of Algeciras surrendering and being incorporated into the Kingdom of Castile. Hmm. Which ties in, more or less, to the book which we are discussing now, mm-hmm. which is How to Rule an Empire and Get Away with It by the indispensable K.J. Parker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's a fantasy novel, a gritty reality one. There's nothing that you would call really magical in this. K.J. Parker seldom delves into the world of magic in their fantasy novels, mm-hmm. sometimes in the fantasy short stories that he does, but not in the novels. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we avoid that trope altogether. It is set in the city which was the capital city of the Robur Empire until the barbarians marched up to the gates, took the empire, but not the actual capital city, which is well defended by its walls. And an actor who is playing the part of a very important person in the city, keystone to the defence mm-hmm. of. And he's doing actually a really good job of it. <laughs> much to the dismay of the nobles and the military junta who put him in charge because mm. they needed someone to stand in for the dead hero that had formerly defended the city, which is actually a, a different dead hero to the one who made the defence work in 16 Ways to Defend a Walled City, I should say. If you are a fan of that earlier book, it's actually the bodyguard. <laughs> There's a lot of people masquerading in this book. <laughs> Now, Colonel Orhan in the first book had his knockabout life as a slave, skilled at carpentry, to inform his career in the first book. And this time around, it's the actor, not Kerr's, hair-raisingly brutal early upbringing as a gang enforcer's favourite, but definitely not coddled son, who was expected to follow in his dad's lethal bootsteps before not Kerr turned to a more dishonest life on stage treading the boards instead of on people's heads. Mm. So his dad was a thug, basically, <laughs> but a really art, artful one and a thoughtful one who mm-hmm. knew his trade. <laughs> and he was part of what the city called themes. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a very Roman idea. These are basically started out as fan clubs, 
mm-hmm. for the chariot races, like the blue and green and red teams in ancient Rome. And eventually they started having these little th- sort of supporting sporting club benefit boxes where you could put a few coins in. Mm-hmm. And that grew to a sort of an insurance scheme where if you were a member of one of these themes, you would get life insurance. If you broke your oh. leg, they could you know help you out okay. a little bit. If you died, maybe your widow would get a bit of mm. bit of coin to keep them going. You know that okay. sort of mutual benefits thing. Nice, nice some coverage and benefits there. <laughs> and of course, where there is money, there is corruption, and they immediately became like the mafia. Each of these scenes, and this is not not Kerr's background. <laughs> Before he hit the stage in an entirely more dishonest trade. (laughs) (laughs) So expect lots of pithy, perceptive observations about practically everything in this book Uh from a very convincing actorly and playwright point of view. For example, it's all very well basing your counter-siege tactics on a classic book on the subject, Uh but why would you assume that your enemy hasn't read the same text? (laughs) They may be barbarians on the other side, but they're not stupid. <laughs> so there are clever, clever resolutions to meta problems in the book to which in mm-hmm. best detective fiction fashion, clues have been laid down mm-hmm. with satisfying strategic casualness in the text. So if you've an eye to notice them, you know how you feel good about solving the mysteries because you've oh, pieced yeah. it all together? You've yeah. picked up those breadcrumbs. Is it a long novel? No, I hold it up to the audience out there. It's scarcely two centimetres thick, so you're not talking about Mm -hmm, a 600 mm -hmm. pager here. But all of those words in here are gold and economical, so I don't actually think you need 600 pages. Lovely. I can tell you that it is precisely, because it's got a bit of another book in the end, as they often do now, to advertise them, 354 pages. Mm -hmm. I just, sometimes these things run on a bit, so it's nice to hear that he's kind of capped it off at a nice length. Mm, I don't believe there has to be a sequel to this, mm-hmm. but you could shoehorn one if, in if you wanted to. Sure. The witty characters think outside the box. The relationship between Nectar and Hodder is, well, interesting, and it does fail a little bit at stepping up to the character that Nocto's playing being gay. So they just sort of sidestep away from that, and that might have been a pity, actually. Or it might not. Maybe it was irrelevant at the time to the story. Now, K.J. Parker, as was revealed after 17 years or so of writing, Mm -hmm. is a pseudonym for the funny fantasy fiction writer Tom Holt, Mm -hmm. whose several dozen satirical novels have thoroughly and entertainingly explored all manner of genre tropes. He's had werewolves and vampires in a legal firm. Um, You know, he just does it all. Books published under the Parker name are a somewhat less ostensibly humorous body of work, Mm -hmm. and they read as if they were actually from a different hand, which makes me worry about the sanity of the author, (laughs) while at the same time maintaining a lot of the razor-sharp, cynical and sardonic wit manifest in the more overtly amusing Holtian universe. It's a particularly adept balancing act by the same author, and the difference being that in the Parker stories, the rapier wit almost invariably draws blood, Mm -hmm. and the always grimly pragmatic and frequently shocking narratives sometimes don't refrain from being gasp-out-loud horrific. Mm-hmm. Now, the last Tom Holt novel I read was An Orc on the Wild Side. <laughs> I love his puns. Set in his U-Space multiverse, which was accessible via donut portals. <laughs> <laughs> it was a laugh for sure, but I've gotten more used to the grittier tone of the K.J. Parker incarnation where you get the humour <laughs> and also some cracking good fantasy stories. The 
two books, How to Rule and 16 Ways, I feel, are not as heavy duty as, say, the K.J. Parker Engineer or Fencer trilogies Uh or the standalone The Folding Knife or The Company. You can tell I'm a fan here. I know these books. (laughs) I've got them all on my shelf. Probably a fantasy author whose works I've collected just as much as Terry Pratchett's or or David Drake's. So they do make for a somewhat lighter tone fantasy read than the rest of Parker's books, Mm -hmm. which is perhaps no bad thing, as we've said before, during the ongoing global emergency, a little bit lighter. It's recommended, if perhaps not quite as highly as the first in the series, but only because that one has the freshness of being the template. Yeah. So it is How to Rule an Empire and Get Away with It. It's from Orbit. It's a K.J. Parker novel, which, of course, is the nom de plume of Tom Holt. And the previous one was 16 Ways to Defend a Walled City. And to forestall the next question, no, you don't have to have read the first one to read the second, but I would recommend it. Right. Okay. So it's sort of set in the same world, but it's not the plots aren't uh, interwoven. Yes, but to know how you got there from here sort of thing, it's one of those things. It's a richer experience. (laughs) Why would you not? It's a fantastic novel, that first one, and I'm going to go back and read it right away. Mm. All right, now out of that, we will get David Bowie's Cracked Actor. Mm. Of course, because <laughs> that's my default whenever we have a... <laughs> <laughs> a thespian theme. Oh, I'm glad you said that because <laughs> I'd mess that up. All right, let's have Cracked Actor, David Bowie. Hello, my name's Sylvester McCoy. I play Doctor Who number seven. And you're listening to me, and you're also listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Yeah, that was the live version of Cracked Actor. <laughs> Mr. Bowie there. I think Aladdin Sane was the original album for that one way, way back in 1973 but that was a live version from a later sort of concert. So there you go, Mr. Bowie having a go at the life of an ageing Hollywood star. (laughs) Very, very meta. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, now it's time to play some games. Yes, indeed. Let's fire up the console and get going. I want to dig into a game that I've been playing of late. I only actually downloaded this digitally a couple of days ago and I've already sunk a little bit of time into it because it does get you hooked and you'll see why as I explain a bit more about it. How much is a little bit of time? (laughs) Oh, look, Rob, we don't want to talk numbers, but we're definitely uh, probably heading towards double-digit hours. So, you know, no regrets on my part. I think it came at a timely opportunity. So (laughs) the game is, of course, called Hades. Now, I am a bit behind the eight ball on this one because it came out last year, 2020, and it was very well received and it was on a lot of best-of lists, critically acclaimed lists, top games of 2020, etc. I don't necessarily always put stock into those lists, but they are very good to pass through and pick out games you might like and try out. Because I have found that generally ones that are quite popular or people 
I know who have played that and, you know, they, we have a similar taste. Uh, I get a little short list of games I want to try. And so Hades had been on that list for a while and I finally bit the bullet and downloaded it. So it is from Supergiant Games and you can get it on OS X, so the Mac platform or on PC. And you can also get it on the Nintendo Switch, which is what I've been playing it on. Now I'll give you a little bit of a brief outline of where we're at and then I'll get us in the mood with it, something from the score. So the Studio Supergiant Games, they also did the games Bastion, Transistor, and Pyre. Now, I've not played any of those games. I do actually have Bastion downloaded uh, because I think it came as a perk one month with one of my online gaming subscriptions, but I've not actually played any of their other games, but I do believe they are also similarly well-received and probably they're all in a very similar style. So I think the gameplay and the way they want to tell narrative, they build on their ideas with each sort of game that they release. And so each subsequent game, they've maybe iterated on that and improved certain elements or explored different things they wanted to do more of or less of, things like that. So Pyre was their most recent game before Hades, and I think that was also quite popular. And they took some of the narrative elements that they wanted to do and found a way to really make them shine in Hades. And I think that has been really paid off because Hades is a lot of things, but it also has a really lovely writing and narrative in it. So what type of game is it? So you might ask. Now, it's a new type of game for me. It's a dungeon crawler. So I've not played very many dungeon crawlers before. So unfortunately, in this kind of review, I can't exactly compare or contrast the gameplay or mechanics or ways this game is better or worse than other crawlers because it's just not a type of game that I often play. So what that means is this game is falls into a bucket which they call roguelite rather than roguelike. So basically what happens is you have to run all of these rooms where you hack and slash your way through different enemies, but every time you die, you lose the progress that you've made. So you don't keep progressing necessarily. You have to work through the run, the whole run yourself in one go. (laughs) So because this game is a rogue light version, uh, you do retain some of your progress or you can build up skills and abilities and kind of mold your character by equipping different extra boosts and things like that. But generally the premise of you run this gauntlet of rooms and if you die, then you're straight back at the beginning, that still remains. So you'll lose health, you'll lose the specific powers or abilities that you maybe had for that run, any charge up that you'd earned. And you do also can collect coins and things like that, which you can buy. But then obviously once you die, those coins are gone. So you have to re-earn those. So The joy of this is something that I've realized is each run and each time you die, you actually manage to unlock more of the story. So what happens is you do understand a bit more about the characters in the world and and so on and understand a little bit more about what's going on in this narrative and that's how they build the story. And I think that's quite artful that you're running this same gauntlet every time but somehow they manage to introduce you to new characters, introduce you to new ideas and also mould a little bit about what kind of person you are through the ways you interact with the characters around you. So you do get a lot out of the game. It is quite repetitive in some ways, but it also really does grow in nuance. So 
And in addition to that, a lot has gone into the art and music and the storytelling. So it is quite a rich experience. So before I delve into exactly what kind of art and story we are talking about, I might just set the mood with a little bit of a track so you can get a sense of where we're at. Uh, I'd like to play a track. Now, this is by Darren Corb, and Corb has done all the music for Supergiants games, including Hades, and I'd like to play the track called No Escape and get a little bit of a sense of what this game is like. Mm, okay. I've noticed that with some games – there's music that you can play and get sick of it. Is this one of those dispensable pieces of, of soundtrack? Ooh, I actually quite like the music in this, and there are mm-hmm. some different styles that come out as well. So I think this is probably some music that you could listen to recreationally. The more you do the dungeons, the more you get sick of it, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Undoubtedly. But um, maybe uh, another couple of hours and I'll report back, Rob, on that one. (laughs) Another couple of hours. (laughs) Hi, this is Michael Palin. And right now, you are lucky enough to be listening to 102.73 Triple R FM. So that was, of course, Darren Corb, and that is from the score to the video game Hades, which is what we're talking about right now. So you can find the game Hades. It is available on Nintendo Switch, and you can also get it through Steam for Mac or PC if you would like to try it out. As I mentioned before we listen to that track, uh, Hades is a dungeon crawler. So I had never played a dungeon crawler type game before, and it is a style that isn't for everyone. So I will say that is something to know going in that dying and the frustration of repeatedly losing (laughs) is a feature of the type of game this is to progress you have to die repeatedly and it can be quite frustrating but there is a bit of a tipping point where you will then become hooked once you've built up enough sort of of your skills and unlocked enough weapons you will find that you do enjoy the repetitiveness as crazy as that sounds so that was kind of an interesting feature for me going in because one thing I think Hades does particularly well is in addition to the art and so on and the very strong character styling is the storytelling and the narrative so what is the story of Hades am I just someone hacking and slashing at monsters randomly through you know dungeon rooms Well, yes and no. I am actually playing as Zagreus, and Zagreus, of course, is the son of Hades, and we are set in the underworld, and Zagreus is trying to escape. Now, he is trying to escape because he's got a bad relationship with his father. He's navigating kind of issues of his life in the underworld and really wanting to learn a bit more about his own history, his family, and his past. Now, of course, any story that involves Hades and the underworld is also going to incorporate the other gods and let's say the Olympians that are on Olympus. Now, they are watching and playing along and rooting for our mate Zagreus as we slash our way through all of these foes. So the mythology angle is what really drew me to this as well because, as you know, on the show we covered Song of Achilles very recently, which was a great book by Madeline Miller, and I do like something that incorporates a little bit of mythology into it. All of our favourite characters are here in the form of the gods will send you different powers and enhancements from their position on Olympus. They'll usually get in a little 
family drama jab in there every now and then. Oh, I see my sister has done this. She's bestowed this on you. I'll also give you this because I'm a greater God than her, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, sibling rivalry and such. And so some of the gods that will help out Zagreus include Aphrodite, Ares, Artemis. Dionysus is a particularly fun one. He comes with like wine bottle sounds whenever he arrives. Hermes, Poseidon, Zeus, and Athena, and Demeter. I see that you also got characters who are not gods, but who are also like, you know, famous. Like mm, Indeed. So we've got Achilles. And so that means Patroclus is also there. Cerberus, favorite pet of the underworld. Sisyphus as well pops up. And you've got, you know, different helpers and things along the way that you run into. Those characters will help you on your quest, let's just say that. And some of them are rare characters too, so you have to know where and how to find them. I would discourage looking up hints and tips of how to pass this game before you've had a decent crack yourself. It'll be quite tempting to try and learn how to make the best of each escape attempt, but I would discourage you because I think I did get a lot out of discovering some of those things yourself, but there will be some tips that will help you maybe get the most out of it if you want to go down that path. Oh, but that road leads to hell. (laughs) Well, you're you're already there, so what's to lose? So as I mentioned, each attempt to escape comes with different rules and so on, and each time you try to escape, it will be slightly different. So there might be different foes. You'll get different abilities. The rooms you'll recognise, the runs, like each environment is the same, but there'll be different ways you can maybe shortcut things, and I won't say any more about that. Now, each time you die, you end up back in the house of Hades. And that's where some of the great character story and little details come in. There'll be some people around there for you to talk to, like Nyx, who is your mother, and also Achilles is there too. And there'll be different things like a weapons room where you can unlock different weapons and change what weapon you use, different enhancements that you can equip. So special items per se that you can use that will give you some kind of special power for your next attempt. And I haven't unlocked all the rooms in the House of Hades either. So I think there's a bit more for me to discover there. And you can also do the typical things of adding rooms and, you know, using some gems to make things look a bit different and so on if that's something that you're into, like do a bit of renovations, let's say. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of this is, of course, about muscle memory and finding the right weapon for you. My favorite is, oh, I can't, I think it's called Varatha. It's like a spear with stuff on the end and you do lots of jabbing and spinning. That's my favorite weapon at the moment. So you will piece together different special attacks and dashing around and trying to avoid getting hit by the blobs, crazy crystals and little mites and monsters that try to stop you from escaping Hades as you try to make your way through each other because the voices are, they fit perfectly. They really fit well with, they each god has this amazing kind of character art that goes with it. It's quite a vibrant and colourful game and there's lots of little details and things in each of the scenarios and places that you'll be that I think really makes it quite a fun experience. And with that said, I thought maybe let's 
go for another music break before I wrap up with my final thoughts on my hack and slash through Hades. So this is another track from Darren Corb, who did the score for Supergiants games, including this one, Hades. And this one is a track called The House of Hades. This is John English aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction Fantasy and Historical Radio, and we haven't finished yet. That was The House of Hades from the Hades score for the video game by Supergiant Games that takes you even deeper into the underworld story. Sounds just a lot like Zero-G, doesn't it? Very verbose. (laughs) (laughs) Verbose but enjoyable, right? (laughs) And the voice acting sells it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So, And there is, of course, some sequences that are quite funny. It is very tongue-in-cheek. It is meant to be a lot of fun. It is not taking itself too seriously. This is definitely a lighthearted game. The writing is very funny as well and a little bit breaks a fourth wall in some ways as well, which I thought was a pretty nice touch considering I wasn't really expecting that much from it in terms of narrative and dialogue. In addition to that, I think there is a quality to it that really keeps you coming back. I do find that I think about my next opportunity but my memories of that were it was quite easy and I think it was it worked a little bit differently. I, I don't think it was quite the same thing. So, And I certainly kept that on mute. The artwork looks very anime. I've seen some screen grabs from this one. Mm, yeah, so it will be that style where they'll pop up and there'll be sort of a 2D character image that, you know, has very lots of flourish and <laughs> lots of personality and then your little um, dialogue card. Now, I will say usually I'm used to these things not having voice acting going with it. So I've hammered on the voice acting train, but the voice acting is so good in this. Yeah, so that'll kind of pop up. And then as you're going through each dungeon, it is kind of that very dungeon crawler top down look as you walk through those environments and so on. And yeah, very bright, very vibrant. And overall for me, as someone who went into this just thinking I would give it a crack and see if it was something I liked, I've really been enjoying playing it. And I think it is a nice kind of escape in some escape. Well, aren't we all trying to escape? Tagrius and me included. But it is a very nice way to just kill a little bit of mindless time. And I do think sometimes you get a bit of benefit out of that. But it's not totally mindless because you are getting a little bit of story and a little bit of fun out of it. So Yeah, as somebody who's done a bit of gaming during the <laughs> pandemic, I entirely understand. For a, something that's called a pandemic, it's not a hell of a lot of dancing and singing, is it really? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, exactly. So and I and I also think as well that the whole mythology thing really ups at a level, I think, too. They've yeah. had a lot of fun with that idea. And it, it was exciting for me when I was first playing it, how they were going to each time a new god popped up, I'd go, oh, cool, like that's how they're kind of doing it. And they each had their own personality and character befitting with their kind of mythological character traits. I think I'll only just keep enjoying this until I get sick of it. I don't know if I'll finish it. Maybe I'll reach a cap on that. We'll see. If you're intrigued by fictional characters escaping from hell. I recommend Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell's book Inferno and also Escape from Hell. Mm -hmm, These are mm -hmm. science fiction fantasy books. Mm -hmm. They're they're fantasy books, of course, because they're dealing with hell, but they are basically riffing off Dante's Inferno and using that as a roadmap. And so lots of historical characters in it. And the main protagonist actually is a science fiction writer. 
Oh. <laughs> he goes to hell and then has to escape. How and mm-hmm. there's another series as well from Tor Books called Heroes in Hell, and that's a multi-author universe nice. doing kind of the same thing. Great books, all of them, so highly recommended nice. too. Well, we were kind of angling towards, speaking of mythological pantheons, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the trailer for The Eternals, mm-hmm. which is the new Marvel movie, which will come out eventually this year, maybe, maybe <laughs> not. And it deals with Jack Kirby characters from the mm-hmm. old days mm-hmm. of the comic book, which have been translated into the big screen. Visited Jack Kirby's work before, his direct work and artwork in Thor Ragnarok, Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, Taika Waititi did a lot of production design, brought all of that colourful universe to life. And seeing the trailer for The Eternals, I don't think they've really captured any of that in the trailer. No. It, it's got a bit of a mood similar to the first Thor in my mind, which was much darker tone. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm wondering if it's a colour grading on the fact that a lot of the scenes in that trailer which shows the Eternals either coming to Earth, and they mm-hmm. are godlike superheroes mm-hmm. uh, who actually inform the gods for human beings, just like Thor does in, yeah. in his movies. It reminds me a lot of that tone that you're talking about from darker Thor movies, plus some of the more um, the grimmer ones that we've seen in the MCU. Mm-hmm. And that may be logical since we're following up after Avengers Endgame, which mm. this movie clearly is going to reference. And it's basically like chariots of the gods. There are aliens or, or meta-powered beings that walked amongst us, and there's mm-hmm. a quite a complicated backstory of the Eternals and the Celestials and the Deviants. We've seen some of the Celestials before in uh, the MCU in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. sort of background characters and as mm. sets. <laughs> <laughs> if you remember, one of the Celestials' heads is used as a base. Oh, God. And, and a prison in <laughs> Guardians 1. You know, this is very ambitious. It's directed by Chloe Zhao. Mm-hmm. Great cast, you know, Angelina Jolie. It's got Kit Harrington. Mm-hmm playing the Black Knight, who we do see in the in the trailer very briefly. And because very briefly. This is set over different historical eras, but mostly in the contemporary times. You will get a bit of that as mm. you go through the ages. It almost looks like it's not part of the Marvel Universe. But if, yeah. if you know those Jack Kirby comics from the 70s as I do, I've still got them. <laughs> <laughs> You'll rejoice at the idea of this coming to the screen. And it'll be an interesting re-energization of the cosmic angle. Yes. We've had some of that with Guardian Avengers Endgame. Mm. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> is it though it's, it's been a while <laughs> i don't want to hear about there being you no know, iron man or, or uh, captain rogers or, uh, it's the new world or, rob we can I, we've got to plow on I've you know gotta move i've got to move on which is why the black widow movie is a prequel <laughs> if, bucky and, if bucky and sam can pull it up and repair their souls we can do it too yes all right <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to move on. (laughs) Okay. And speaking of moving on, that's about it for Zero G for today. You can find that Eternals trailer either on the Marvel site itself Mm -hmm. or on YouTube. You know, they they throw these things around everywhere. Oh, yeah. Look, try and find a HD version and play it on your telly or something or cast it or whatever. Yeah. Because I think it looks a bit better on a bigger screen. Maybe it's because it's all shot in the twilight. All the scenes I saw were shot sort of like afternoon, late afternoon. 
It's going to be interesting what tone it has. I think that's really curious to me. Yeah. Mm. Maybe it'll all go like Technicolor, Kirby, Crackle when they get to contemporary times. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) They'll do like a jump cut or something. Yeah, like in The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Yeah, like go Technicolor. Yeah. All right, well, on the back of that, now I'm partly riffing off the fact that we heard this song in Resident Alien so recently, um, one of the scenes where Harry was getting drunk, I think, one of the many scenes, and it reminded me, just visually at least, of the Nicki Minaj song Starships, if you've ever seen the music video of that. Not something we played a lot of on Triple R, I'd imagine, but, you know, hey, it is actually pretty zero-G orientated when you think about it. So we'll go out with that. A little bit of a language warning. There are some bleeped words and a couple of words that do filter through. So that's about it for zero-G for today. And Joe Brunatic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. So we'll go out with Starships. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.